it's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Goodell and Elizabeth, for coming to join us today. It was really great to have you guys. Uh, appreciate you sharing your heart. And it really does uh, move us to hear uh, what God is doing and uh, really to see people that are really on the front lines and being able to experience, you know, it's one thing to know it, but it's nothing to actually be there. And so I appreciate you guys sharing your, your testimony there. And uh, he was baptized about three years ago, he was telling me, and I won't share his story, uh, but I look forward to hearing it sometime. They have family out here in La Quinta in, in uh, Indio, and uh, so they're out here all the time. So hopefully we'll get to hear from them again. He's uh, retired military, and uh, then he got into the Army of the Lord three years ago, and now he's serving hope. So uh, it's great to know you're, uh, you're on God's side now. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, we're excited for today. Today's called The Passion. Next week's going to be called The Resurrection, obviously. And so we're going to look at it this week as the world remembers Jesus. You know, there's not too many times when the world actually stops and, and thinks about Christ. And this is one of those weeks, one of those times. And I pray that you will uh, do the same. You know, surely in the church, this could be the week where we enjoy Jesus more than anyone in the world. And, uh, you know, this past week, a lot of the singles and the, a lot of people from all parts of the church, we went to see a movie uh, called I Can Only Imagine. And uh, it was one of those movies that I had no idea what it was going to be about. And it just kind of snuck up on me during the, during the movie. As it started going, it, it started getting a little more real and a little more close to home. And you ever have those moments when you're sitting there and you're, you're like, okay, I'm in a public place. Don't let loose. So I'm in I'm there, I'm looking over at April and she's losing it. You know, I looked over uh, at the brother on my left. I can't remember who that was at the moment. He was crying too. And that didn't help me too much. And I just felt them. They just came down. There was just a few because I was... Trying to hold out. One of those movies that's better to watch at home, probably. <laughs> but it brought up a lot of stuff. And I had a lot, of, a lot to pray about afterwards. Had some, awesome, had some incredible prayers uh, afterwards. But really, it's amazing. Sometimes you don't really know what you need until it just happens. And we're going to look at that story today, the passion. There's so many people that were in Jerusalem at the time. They didn't know what they needed until it happened. And some of us were sitting here. We don't, we're in need, but we don't realize it. And so hopefully today we'll be able to get in touch with our hearts for the cross. It's really the, the, the crux of Christianity and our motivation, our everything. And pray with me as we get started. Uh, Father, I do pray for this time today. Pray that you bless us. You bless this time as in your word, that you inspire us. God, help us to see Jesus, whether we've seen him for a thousand times or this is our first time. God, that we will uh, get what we need from you. And whether it's, it's tears or faith or inspiration or motivation, God, I pray that you reach to the depths of our souls. Get me out of the way for the next few minutes. Help us to focus on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This week I've been reading about the passion. 
Last, a couple Sundays ago, we read about the, the woman that anointed Jesus' feet, and this is just five days later when Jesus, after Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king on a donkey, and they put down the, the branches. And the Passion begins in Gethsemane where Jesus is praying, and he's praying so intensely that he has drops of blood coming out of his pores. And you see the, the, the struggle and the humanity as he prays to God, God, if there's any other way. Have you ever been there? Is there you don't want to do something, and you're just like, there's got to be another way. He said, God, you can do anything if there's any other way. And as God sometimes does, he said, no, this is the way. And it's amazing when you read in Luke 22, right when he was praying that prayer, it says that an angel came down and strengthened him. You know, sometimes when we're weak, we want to pull back from God. And yet we're missing, when we do that, we miss the strengthening that comes through the angels and through the Spirit. So as Jesus felt weak, he continued to pray and everyone around him fell asleep. But he was the one that got strengthened to be able to say the words, not my will, but your will be done. And from that point on, he had a resolve and a determination that when they came to get him with the swords and clubs, he asked them, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, I am he, they actually fell down. You know, his power just kind of came out and knocked these soldiers to the ground. And yet it was Jesus' plan that they would take him and spare his friends. So he took the initiative so that his friends could get away. That same night before the, the Jewish leaders, the only two things that he took responsibility for were being the Son of Man and being the Son of God. To every other charge, he said nothing. As they hit him in the face again and again and spit on him, then he was sent to Pilate, where he said nothing. And it says that Pilate was amazed. He was totally shocked. How could you be accused of all these things? I know that they're false, and yet you still say nothing. And he had Jesus scourged with whips of leather and with stone and glass and metal on the ends that would just tear him up. And then they handed him over to the Roman soldiers who put a purple robe on him and mocked him as king of the Jews. And they bowed down before him, worshiping him and mocking him. And he went out to his people who turned him away for Barabbas. Barabbas, the man who had no mother or father, whose name literally means son of God, Barabbas. That's what that means. And so they took the human son of God for the real son of God. They traded the real son of God and they, they saved the wrong one. And yet, as Jesus walked to his cross, the people were weeping and wailing and 
crying for him. And he looked at them. He says, don't wake. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. Weep for Jerusalem. If they do this while the branch is green, imagine what they're going to do when I'm gone. And years later, the city was destroyed because they didn't recognize their king and their Messiah. And on that same road, he met Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross when Jesus was weak. And as we see in the gospel, it changed his life and his, him and his sons were, became disciples after that short walk up the hill. And seeing this day, today we're going to look at where Jesus meets two thieves when he finally gets nailed to his cross. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And we'll start reading in verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they, they were crucified. They crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, but he can't save them. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, The king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It's a moving scene between three crucified men. Two of them that got the closest look to what Jesus went through for all of us. And right now, we're going to watch a video that documents the, the journey of the thief to the cross from a recent song. And then we're going to continue afterwards. That's the theory.
Amen. That's a good visual to kind of imagine what it was like to be this thief walking up with Jesus and seeing everything that he went through and being moved to the point where he changed his life. You know, he didn't know what was happening. He, he was surprised, as many of us were the first time we realized what Jesus' death meant, means to us. You know, next week we're going to talk a lot about the resurrection. You know, today we're going to talk about the passion of Christ. My point number one is Jesus' submission equals love. That Jesus submitting himself to God's plan was the greatest act of love done for all mankind. That he could have done whatever he wanted to do, and yet he, he was determined to carry his cross. He could have called one angel and destroyed the whole country. Everyone said, save yourself, save yourself. And he's thinking, why would I do that? Why would I save myself? I came for this. You know, submission. Giving up one thing, you know, submitting your will to another's. That Jesus made the decision, hey, I, I don't really want to do this, but out of love, I submit my will to God. Out of a love for you, out of a love for God. You know, so much of, our, of his love, imagine his love without the cross. Jesus' love would not be complete. He even says, greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And that he was determined to follow it through to the very end because he loved us to that point. You know, in Philippians 2, it talks about this love and this submission to God and this sacrifice. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to, to death, even death on a cross. Just the fact that Jesus would come down to this earth is the ultimate act of humility. When he was the creator, he chose to be born in the most humble place. Though he was the definition of love, he still decided to show that love all the way to the cross. He put our needs first, and he calls us to have that same attitude towards God in submitting our lives to what God's plan is for us. Not what we want to do, but what he wants to do. And submitting ourselves to one another in that same way. You know, Jesus humbled himself before he even took his first breath by deciding to come here to this earth. We, have, we can't even fathom what that means. We can't fathom what perfection is and yet leaving perfection to come here to a place that we know has a lot of pain. And we know has a lot of evil 
and a lot of destruction and heartache. But then in 1 Peter 2, he calls us to the same example again. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you and I should follow in his steps. What steps? The steps that he took to the cross. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the best news that we could ever hear. That because of his love, because of his love for you and him going to the cross, he was able to take away your sins. And he was able to set a new life before you that this is the way to live. This is the way to love. This is the way to encourage, to lay down your life before one another. And he talks about laying down your life at work. And he talks about laying down your life in your family and in your marriage and with your kids and with your parents. He sets an example. He doesn't say if it's fair, then you need to lay down your life. He doesn't say if your boss is nice, if you have encouraging parents, if you have good things to remember about your child. He says in every way, the same way that I went to the cross under the most unjust suffering ever, That's the way that he calls us to live our lives. It wasn't about Jesus' rights, because he gave them up. It wasn't about what was fair, because he was the truth. But it was about love. And it was about him submitting his will because of his love for you and for me. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And he gives us that example to lay down our lives because we love each other, because we love God, and because we love him, Jesus. Point number two, forsaken by sinners. This is my son's favorite scripture. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. I remember him sharing that with me. I said, well, son, why is that your favorite scripture? I mean, that's kind of a new one. I never heard that as somebody's favorite scripture, that we all fall short of God. And he said, well, dad, that means that We're all in the same boat. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. We all need to be saved. That no one can say, hey, I'm better than you because we're all in the same boat. So you don't have to feel less than anyone. And I hope that we don't feel better than anyone. Because without Jesus and his grace, we're lost. And if you see it in the way, that way, it is encouraging that we get to be saved. 
You know, when the disciples were sleeping in the garden and Jesus was praying and the mob was coming to get him, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? The hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. You know, you learn a lot by what Jesus says. You also learn a lot by what Jesus doesn't say. He didn't say Judas is coming. He didn't say the chief priests have finally had it. He didn't say the Romans are going to kill your Messiah. But he said sinners. All sinners were represented by those men that we all are responsible for killing Christ. That's what his word teaches. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. How does that feel? How about if we all got t-shirts... We got red t-shirts with white letter that just says sinner on it. And we just had to wear that around. How would that feel? Walking around with your sinner shirt on. Be some interesting conversations. Might be a little uncomfortable wearing that to work. Wearing that to school. You probably get a few people talking about you. And yet, that is really the truth. That we're all, that could be all of us, and yet sometimes that's hard for us to accept. You know, we read about these two men that one of them couldn't accept it. He kept taunting Jesus and challenging him Save me! Come on, Jesus! You're not doing the right thing. But the one who was saved is the one who was able to see through his own pain, through his own sin, and see Jesus. And here's what he says. Don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. We deserve this. We sinned and we deserve death and we're dying for it. But this man, he's pure. He's righteous. He did nothing. And if we're not able to see Jesus through our sin, then we'll... If we're able to see Jesus through our sin, excuse me, then we're able to also be forgiven as well. They were able to come to him with that humility to say, you know what? I deserve whatever I get. And I need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. And yet sometimes when we're going through a hard time, all we can see is us. And how much we're suffering and how hard it is and how I'm challenged. And yet this guy could see through that to see Christ. I don't know if you ever thought about what it would be like to be crucified. How it would be to have somebody nail nails in your wrists and put a big old nail between your the top the arches of your feet and just hanging up there for hours and just being in excruciating pain. Imagine going through that 
and still being able to see Jesus. Sometimes we have a bad day and we can't see Jesus. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and we lose Jesus. What happened? He's lost. He's gone. You know, we get in an argument with our spouse or our kid and all of a sudden we lose Jesus. We get a bad grade in our test and we lose Jesus. I was driving home this week and I realized I get discouraged every single day by something. I was driving around and I was thinking about this conversation that didn't go real well and I found myself just getting depressed. And I'm just like, oh. Started thinking about more. Oh. By the time I got home, I'm just like, wow. One conversation going bad and I'm depressed. I lost Jesus in one car ride. It doesn't take much to get my mind off of Christ sometimes. And yet, when we come to him when we're weak, he's able to strengthen us. When, we, when we're going through hard times and we continue to go to Jesus, he's able to lift us up. And this thief, with his simple words, by taking responsibility for his own sin, was able to be set free. He didn't argue. He didn't defend himself. He didn't say he was falsely accused, that the trial was rigged, that they don't like Jews, it's prejudice. He said, you know what? I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And he asked that Jesus would somehow remember him in his kingdom. And Jesus did more than that. He said, today I'll remember you in, my, in paradise. The man didn't realize it was going to come so soon. But he found Jesus at the last minute. He found the light of the world before it was extinguished. You know, I pray that today that we're able to take responsibility for our sin, the things that we've committed, how we've fallen short of Jesus in our actions and in our thoughts and in our things that we don't do, the things that we leave out of our lives. I pray that as we think about the cross and that Jesus died for sinners, that we include ourselves. Because for this man, that, that was the only difference between him and the other criminal. Was that he saw himself and he turned to Jesus. I pray that today you can turn to him, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, to appreciate that we forsake, forsook Jesus. And he died for us. My third point, and most exciting, is Jesus Messiah, the leader or savior of mankind. As the song goes, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. And on the cross, Jesus was reminded by this thief what he came to do. And I'm sure he was encouraged that someone notices what I'm doing. That one person acknowledged me. And it was this sinner. It was this thief 
It was my brother on the cross. You know, he found hope in Jesus. He was the one person in the Gospels that was saved on his deathbed. There was a few people that were saved after they already died. That was pretty cool. Lazarus. But he was saved on his deathbed to give us hope, to show me and you that no one is too far gone. No one is too bad. No one is too far out there that Jesus can't save. That there's no way we can write people off. If this guy can make it, anyone can make it. He's also there as a reminder that only one was saved on his deathbed, so that's not a real good plan. If we're kind of hoping for that, that's not one that really, there's small odds on that one. Maybe you'll be two. But really to respond now and to find hope that we can change wherever we're at. And I'm excited to uh, invite April Rubio up here, and she's going to share a little bit about how Jesus has saved her. Hi, church. Good afternoon. My name is April, and um, I get the privilege of sharing about what Jesus means to me as Messiah and Savior. So I'm going to give you um, a little quick background on me. Uh, I grew up here in the desert. I'm an only child, and I grew up in a family of my mom, dad, and my grandparents who raised me from the time I was born with them. And uh, growing up, there was just a lot of chaos and instability in my home. Um, there was a lot of alcohol abuse and a lot of fighting, um, name-calling, anger. And uh, I think early on, I was really fortunate, um, even though that was my home life, to still have, have been given a faith and a foundation to believe in God. Um, I think it really helped to um, serve as a, a starting point to when I would develop my own relationship with God later on. Um, my mom left when I was about nine, and my dad left when I was about 15 or 16. He got remarried and moved in with my stepmom. And so just really early on, I learned to be very independent and self-reliant, and I really felt like I just needed to be a good person. I needed to do the right thing. I needed to get great grades. I needed to be involved. I needed to be respectful. Um, and so I kind of carried that around with me. I just thought that I had to, if I was good enough, you know, that would be enough. And um, so I, I did that, you know, through middle school and high school and um, kind of towards the end of high school, started um, living a little bit of a double life, starting to experiment with partying and impurity um, and drinking, but it got really old really quickly. It was really empty for me, and I was really fortunate that during that time, my uh, stepbrother and my stepsister had actually uh, studied the Bible and gotten baptized, and my stepsister started reaching out to me. And uh, I knew from the time I was, uh, started studying the Bible that this was going to change my life and um, that it was also going to help me reach my goal of being a good person. Um, so at the age of 19, I was baptized, and it really did change the course of my life forever. Um, you know, I was able to be open and honest about my sins and my brokenness and the hurts of my past, um, and it also just gave me a new way to live. Um, but as we all know, just because we're saved, it doesn't mean we're fully healed. Um, so that self-reliance, that independence, that need to be good enough uh, is something that I carried with me into being a Christian. And um, 
you know, it's been about, it's been almost 13 years since uh, I became a disciple. And the first couple of years were great. I think um, my people-pleasing really served me well in being um, a good, obedient Christian. Um, but whenever hard things came up, whenever challenges came up, it really made me question. It would make me question God. Uh, it would make me question myself. Was I not doing things right? Was I not spiritual enough? Again, was I not good enough? Um, and I can really relate to that first thief who questioned, who was questioning Jesus on the cross, you know, questioning him to come and save him. You know, I've had that conversation with God many times, like, do what I'm asking you to do. It's a good thing. Um, but it wasn't God's thing. And so um, it, it would really hinder my relationship with God at different times. Um, but I feel like in the past year, God has really been able to, um, through lots of failures and setbacks and really helping me to surrender and to submit, he's really been able to help me see that I, I just need to let go and that the greatest thing I can do is just to be near him, you know, to be like that second thief that Scott was talking about that really was able to see Jesus through his suffering and really um, just long to be near Jesus. And I think that's really what my relationship with God has become. It's just a longing and a desire to be close to God, not to get anything from him, not to um, see him do anything specific, but just nearly to be with him and to be in his presence. And I uh, think of the scripture in Psalm 73 that says that our, my greatest good is to be near God. And I really feel like um, I've been able to experience that lately. I love the name um, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus came down simply to be with me, simply to know me so that I can have access to him at any time and anywhere. Um, that I really get to carry God's presence with me wherever I go. And it's not something I had to earn. I didn't have to be good enough. I didn't have to prove myself or do anything to have that. Um, it's really a gift that he gave me by sacrificing for me, by laying down his life on the cross. And, um, you know, when I think about it, really, it moves me really deeply because uh, it took away that, that self-reliance. It took away that independence, and it filled me with God-reliance and um, the ability to really go to someone greater than myself, um, you know, Sorry, it's, it's the gift, again, that he gave me by sacrificing for me, um, you know. And I love what he said even to the thief, that, that he would be with him one day in paradise. And I get to look forward to that, too, now, you know, because Jesus came down and did that for me, you know, and is always with me. I'll also get to be with him one day in paradise. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, April, for your sharing there. It's amazing how Jesus lifts us up. You know, the word paradise in the, in the Hebrew language there referred to the Garden of Eden. So when they mentioned that, they would picture being with God in the garden with no sin and just living forever. And it became something that even in the, in the Old Testament that was referred to to be in paradise would be just to be, be one with God. And that was what Jesus shared with this man, that today you're going to be with me. Today you're mine. You're my brother. You're forgiven. I love this scripture. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That God didn't send his son to condemn you, but to save you. He didn't come here to make you feel and make you... Be rejected by him. He came to lift you up. 
He came to give you what you can't give yourself. He came to let you live a life here on earth that glorifies him, that lifts him up, and that also fills us up in the process. And he came ultimately to help us to be with him in paradise. A place where we'll never die. A place where there's no sin. Where there's no pain, no sickness, no destruction. No regrets. That we get to live with him in paradise. As we take our communion, we've seen the responses of two men that were under the same fate as Jesus. And we're inspired by one that turned his life around, who saw something that he missed his entire life. And we're reminded by another that just because you're close to Jesus doesn't mean that you are with Jesus. And I pray that today that you'll decide and you'll respond. No matter that all of us will decide to be near Jesus, to submit our wills to his. As an act of love, I want to live my life for him. And if I decide to live for me and not for him, then that's not an act of love. But to decide to love him, to accept responsibility for our sin. To not make excuses for it, to not explain it, to not blame other people, to not blame our background, even though it affects us, that we'll take it ourselves. And we'll bring it to Jesus. That we'll see him through our sin and through our pain. And we'll be able to experience what this man experienced. Hours before his death that he was reminded that even though he lived a life that was shameful in many respects, that he was humiliated before his countrymen, that ultimately he was going to be lifted up and that we can put our faith and our hope in Jesus, our Savior and our Messiah today. So let's pray as we take our communion together. Jesus, we thank you for this time to come before you. We thank you for this, these few moments to come before the cross to imagine ourselves walking with you up the hill to the place of the skull, to imagine you next to us and to hear the words from your mouth, today you'll be with me in paradise. God, I pray that we can trust you, that we can have a spiritual view on our lives, that we can understand what really matters and we can understand the amazing love that you have for all of us. God, thank you for your body and your blood that was broken for us, for our forgiveness. And God, thank you for the reason why you did it. Not just that you went through the pain, not just that you suffered, but because you loved us, because you loved me, because you loved each one of us. God, I pray that we can focus on that as we take our communion today. In Jesus' name, amen.